Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. Over the last week or so, I've been doing a bit of rummaging around in my digital database and my digital files, doing some preparation for an event that's coming up, and I came across this paragraph. Let me read it to you. The very experience of 21st century living with its utterly bewildering array of nearly limitless choice in knowledge, information, entertainment, commodities, lifestyles, and so on, has the psychological effect of fragmenting our lives and destroying any illusion that there might be one overarching truth or big story to our lives. There's no fixed truth, no unifying story, no galvanizing purpose. There's nothing that explains me or locates me in the world as part of a fixed tradition or community. Everything is difference, diversity, plasticity, fluidity. That cheery little description of our very postmodern kind of world, I wrote 15 years ago, it turns out, as I was reviewing David Wells's book, Above All Earthly Powers, Christ in a Postmodern World. Now, I rather suspect most of you won't have heard of David Wells or David Wells's book. Some of you will remember him. He wrote a series of influential and very helpful books in the late 90s and early 2000s, of which this one, Above All Earthly Powers, uh, was one of the more widely read and appreciated. And I came across my little review of it as I was looking for background reading about truth and lies in preparation for the Centre for Christian Living event on deception that's on next week. And I'll give you some details about that event later on if you'd like to come. But I came across this article I'd written about Wells's book, and it brought to my mind again just what a fascinating perspective David Wells brought to this whole subject. Because his books really chart the collapse of a dream, the collapse of the modernist enlightenment dream that humanity could find its own way to the truth about life and the universe and everything. And it all failed, he suggests, for a number of reasons. At one level, it failed just to deliver. The modernist dream was that humanity would craft its own destiny, and that through science and education and discussion and rational debate, we would all enter a unified and bright new tomorrow. And so the Enlightenment promised progress and enlightenment and knowledge and an inspiring quest for truth. And instead, the end point of it in the 20th century was the Holocaust and propaganda and a nuclear arms race and environmental degradation. But Wells says that the Enlightenment project, the dream, failed as well because of the very structure of its thought and all that followed from it. The Enlightenment ideal is profoundly individualistic. It's about human reason and human experience being sovereign, being the source and the path to truth. But if human reason is sovereign, that means that my reason and my experience are sovereign. So who are you to tell me what to do or to tell me what the truth is or to tell me what constitutes progress? And so in the end, Wells argues, the Enlightenment dream of a great humanist future buckled and sagged and eventually collapsed under the massive weight of consumerism, of all the different consumer options that have opened up before 21st century people, especially Westerners. He suggests that we didn't become all postmodern because we started reading French philosophers like Derrida or Foucault. 
but because contemporary culture is built on you doing you and me doing me, as we put it these days. And what's more, we have the financial and technological resources to do just that. Our current postmodern culture is an individualistic consumer culture in which I define myself and I define meaning for myself by what I buy and choose and experience, by how I create this unique thing that is me and that I advertise and tell everybody about on social media. So what has all this got to do with lying and deception in a postmodern world? Just how useful is all of this for my Centre for Christian Living talk coming up next week? Well, somewhat disappointingly for my preparation, this is not an issue that Wells really digs into all that much, and neither did the little review that I wrote. His interest is really somewhere else. It's in how the postmodern crisis of truth really relates to how Christians preach the gospel. He's more interested in how postmodernism is infecting the church or how churches and Christian gospel preaching are relating to the postmodern culture that we're in, where truth is kind of up for grabs and less certain. And so as is so often the case when you start rummaging around in old books and articles, you find yourself going down a completely different rabbit hole. And in this case, it was also one that relates very strongly to current events and issues. And so the big issue for Wells, and it's still very much our big issue 15 years later, is how our secular postmodern world and the people that we bump up against every day, how our world deals with the fracturing of the idea of truth and meaning, and how churches deal with it as we reach out with the gospel in this environment. Now, David Wells makes a very interesting observation in this connection in his book. He notes that while church-going and general trust in Christianity has declined in the West, interest in spirituality, in scare quotes, and spiritual experience has not. And he cites a survey, it's a survey I guess from the late 90s, given when he was writing, that shows that in the same period in which church attendance fell in Britain from 28% down to 8% of the population, the number of people who describe themselves as spiritual or as having had spiritual experiences rose from 48% to 76%. And so there's some kind of spiritual awareness there, or even a spiritual yearning. And the question is, can Christians bring the gospel to that spiritual yearning? Now, here is where David Wells asks an absolutely crucial question that, in my experience anyway, many others don't ask and are still not asking. And his question is this, just what kind of spiritual yearning does the postmodern person typically have? And here's my summary and a kind of few reflections on his answer to that question from this article that I wrote back in 2007. I'm just going to read a bit of it to you. As Wells describes it, and his analysis rings very true, the current spiritual quest is intensely personalised, individualised, and eclectic. It's part of the postmodern person's project to make their life happy, satisfying, fulfilled, meaningful. It's about finding something real in my life, given that I have lost confidence in a big answer coming from an outside God. It's like another panel on my Facebook page, my spirituality, and I can draw on tidbits of whatever spiritual knowledge or technique will help with that search and that process. 
Here, Wells comes to one of the key insights of his very insightful book. He argues that while the postmodern spiritual yearning has unique features thrown up by the particular forces of our time, in its core structure and nature, it bears a striking resemblance to a kind of spirituality that Christians have done battle with long before, in the 2nd and 3rd centuries AD, the ancient form of primal spirituality that took the form of Gnosticism. It too was a spirituality intensely distrustful of dogma and external revelation. It too was a deeply privatised spirituality where the sacred was approached through the self. And it too was a spirituality that reached from man to God, attempting to find salvation and blessing apart from the grace of Christ. In other words, Gnosticism was not a close cousin to Christian spirituality, a kind of fellow traveller or precursor to Christian understanding. It was its diametric opposite and enemy. And when such a rival is on the field, adaptation, dialogue and tactical engagements are not viable strategies. The only appropriate response, argues Wells, is confrontation, otherwise known as speaking the truth in love. The early church perceived this and vigorously opposed Gnosticism and was granted in God's kindness a history-making victory. The church at the end of the 20th century, on the other hand, has seen the self-focused, anti-revelational, lifestyle spirituality of our time as a phenomenon not to be confronted, but to be accommodated. By seeing merely the surface attitude of seeking, and not the deep antipathy between the two kinds of spirituality, modern evangelicals have filled megachurches with people who don't trust revelation, filter their experience of God through the self and its desires, and come along because the breezy, interactive, virtually contentless meetings make them feel good and contribute to the project that is their lifestyle. This is a vital point as we think about reaching our culture with the gospel. The desires, wants and spiritual yearnings of postmodernity are not a variation on Christian spirituality. They are as starkly opposite and as deadly to Christian thought and practice as was Gnosticism. Now in case you're wondering, I'm still reading from my article here. Sorry this is such a long quote, but I couldn't think of a better way to restate it. And I go on here in describing what Wells says. Wells sharply criticises the seeker service movement for not perceiving this and for offering a revelationless, repentance-light, therapeutic spirituality, which gives unchurched baby boomers exactly the spiritual package they want, one that helps them to sustain relationships, handle stress, improve their life, and all without relinquishing their fundamental autonomy over their lives. And this is the danger for evangelicals as we think about how Christ can be preached to a postmodern world. We see a particular demographic group before us, Generation X or Y or Z or whoever it might be, and we begin to feel that if only we could find the key to their heart, the cultural pheromones that would attract them to us, then we surely would be able to win them over to Christ. If we can only craft our package in such a way as to show them that Christ is the answer to their spiritual yearnings for meaning or relationships or whatever, then to Christ they will turn. And so I started reading this old article, thinking it might help me about truth and lies. But it mostly got me juiced up again about the gospel and truth and evangelistic strategy, which has also been very much on my mind recently. 
the new Learn the Gospel resource that I've been working on for quite a long time is now officially out and available, which is very exciting. And just recently, just last Friday, in fact, I submitted the final manuscript of a new evangelistic book that's going to come out sometime early next year based on Two Ways to Live. And for both of these resources, and as I've been thinking about these issues over the last 12 months, I realized that one of the key convictions that we have in gospel preaching, in our knowledge of it, in our preaching of the gospel, is that the gospel is a truth claim. It doesn't seek to mold itself or to answer the desires of its hearers. It comes as a word to them from outside. It comes to call on them to repent of those desires in light of the truth about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It proclaims a true reality that is beyond myself and that calls upon me to spurn and to turn away from my self-focus, my personal Gnosticism, if I can put it like that, and turn to God in Christ. Now, this is the great insight that David Wells brings to our thinking about this. The other idea the idea that truth comes from within and is personal, it's not a new idea. No doubt the current version of it, the postmodern version of it, has its own features. But it's a species of an age-old and ever-present human problem, which is to reject reality, to reject the real truth about God and the world and ourselves, and replace that with a truth, in inverted commas, of our own making. And when we're confronted about this reality, we excuse ourselves, and like Pilate, we say, what is truth? In reaching out to a culture like this, a post-truth or anti-truth culture, it's easy for us to lose our nerve. I don't know how many times in the last 15 to 20 years I've had someone say to me something like this, yes, I know the gospel proclaims the truth, I believe that, of course, but is truth really something that resonates with people today? We're not a truth generation. We're more interested in what works in our lives. And so surely we're more likely to get evangelistic traction if we can show people that Christianity works, that it makes a difference to them, that it solves and addresses their deepest issues, and so on and so forth. I think this is profoundly mistaken and sends us down the wrong road. It sends us down the road towards a kind of pop culture soft evangelical liberalism of exactly the kind that David Wells warned us about in 2007. Because the gospel can't negotiate with Gnosticism, whether it's the ancient form or the more individualistic, secular, postmodern form that we're familiar with. Because in proclaiming the victory and lordship of Jesus, we're bringing news of liberation from all that from our enslaving, self-focused desires, from our hiding from the truth. We're not bringing a fulfilment of those desires, but a critique of them and a call to repent from them. In the final sentence of my article back in 2007, I put it like this, The world may seek a million ways to live, but we preach two ways to live. Well, there are some further thoughts on truth and on the gospel and on how we preach it. It's been an issue that's been bubbling along quite often here on The Painful Truth over the past 12 to 18 months. And as always, I'm interested in your 
thoughts and reactions to this latest episode in that discussion. If you'd like to get hold of David Wells's book, it's still in print as far as I can tell. It's called Above All Earthly Powers, Christ in a Postmodern World. And although the particular issues he addresses have a lot to do with the nature of contemporary evangelicalism, especially American evangelicalism, it is a really stimulating book on the nature of what the gospel is and how it relates to our culture. So I'd recommend you have a look at it if you get a chance. I did mention the Centre for Christian Living event on deception. That's on next Wednesday, the 24th of August. And if you'd like to come along, that's still possible, although you probably need to register post-haste. Go across to the Centre for Christian Living website to do that. That's ccl.more.edu.au. And all the details are there about how to come in person or how to tune in via live stream, whether you want to do that just personally at home or maybe in your small group if you want to get together and talk about the issue of lies and deception and integrity and how the Christian life is a life of integrity. Also, as I mentioned above, the wait is now finally over for getting hold of the first of the new Two Ways to Live resources, Learn the Gospel. For those of you who haven't caught up with this, uh, the old Two Ways to Live training course that has been around for several decades has now been divided in half, and I've completely rewritten that material into two new resources. And the first one is called Learn the Gospel, which does what it says it does. It's a, a book and kind of course or training resource to teach Christians what the gospel really is using the Two Ways to Live framework and to dig into the gospel and understand its logic and its content. And part two, the second book, which won't be out till next year, is called Share the Gospel. And it's about how to share that gospel, obviously, with others in everyday life and conversation. And it's the first one of those, Learn the Gospel, that's now available. It consists of a very nicely produced book. The team at Matthias Media has done a fabulous job in putting it together. And there are some free online videos as well. And it's all designed to be very easily doable in a small group that you might have already existing, like an existing small group, or in a group that you gather for this purpose. And you can find all the details at MatthiasMedia.com slash learn the gospel. All one word. MatthiasMedia.com slash learn the gospel. There's a page there with all the information about it and how to get hold of it. And I'd encourage you to check it out and have a look. Well, that's about it for this week on The Painful Truth. Please get in touch. Send me an email at tonyjpayne at me.com with your comments and questions. Or you can go across to the website. And if you're one of the subscriber members of The Painful Truth, you can leave a comment there as well. Well, it's been great to be with you. As always, I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.